Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit this morning to open your word to us, that you would speak it to our minds, that you would plant your word in our hearts, and that it would bear fruit, grow in our lives by, in faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, please be seated. Good morning. So one Sunday, there was a Sunday school teacher who gave her students an assignment. Learn one fact about Jesus by next Sunday. And so the following week, she asked each child in turn what he or she had learned. Susie stood up and said, he was born in a manger. Bobby stood up and said, he threw the money changers out of the temple. And little Johnny stood up and said, he has a red pickup truck, but he doesn't know how to drive it. Curious, the teacher asked, where did you learn that, Johnny? From my daddy, Johnny said. Yesterday, we were driving down the highway, and this red pickup truck pulled out in front of us, and daddy yelled out Jesus' name and asked, why don't you learn, where to drive, learn how to drive? Whoops. Uh, you know what? We're continuing this morning, as we all are all year long now, uh, in our quest to see Jesus clearly in 2020. And for the last several weeks, we've been in a series called Beginnings. And just like our Sunday school teachers is challenging her students, we are seeking to see Jesus clearly, what we can learn about him at the very beginning of his ministry. And today we ask the question of the ages, how does Jesus drive, right? Um, No, not exactly. I picked driving because driving is a uniquely uh, human thing we do, right? I mean, it's one of the things we do. We get from place to place. We have to go about doing things. We drive. And of course, Jesus never actually drove a car. But the underlying question I want to ask this morning is, how does Jesus human? You know the phrase popular among younger adults called adulting, right? In various acts, it's the definite verb of various acts of being an adult. And this morning, we want to explore how did Jesus do human things. How did he human? See, Luke, the writer of the gospel, the doctor, the historian, has gone to great length in the first four chapters to emphasize this, that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, has come down and has become human. He's not just become like us, he has become us. Luke's emphasized Jesus' human birth, its place in human history, what was happening in the world, in the Roman Empire. It has a place in time. He's been baptized. Jesus has been baptized like other human beings. And just before our passage begins, at the end of chapter 3, Luke has given a lineage, basically Jesus' lineage that goes, Jesus, son of Joseph, son of so-and-so, so-and-so, all the way back to Adam, who was the first human being. So how does Jesus human, how does he live the human life should be a significant question that we have. Why? Because just like Pinocchio said, he says, says, 
I'm a real boy. You're real women and real men. We are real people. We are real people. And Jesus' humanity taking on our nature, how he lives it out, must matter for us as real human beings. There was a second century bishop named Irenaeus, and he wrote this, that God became what we are, that is human, so that he might bring us to be even what he is. That's a little bit of weird English. Let me simplify it. Jesus becomes us so that we can become like him. And how is he? He is perfect. He is righteous. He is holy. And as you read the Gospel of Luke and the New Testament, we see that Jesus lives a life just like we do. He experiences what we experience. In today's passage, we see clearly one of the ways in which he does that. He experiences temptation. And the only yet absolutely significant difference between us and him is that when he faces temptation, he does not give in to it. He does not sin. So when we look at his life, how he lives, what do we find with regards to this area of temptation? The first thing I want you to notice is that he lives our human life dependently. The second thing is he lives human life similarly. And the third thing is that he lives a human life perfectly, dependently, similarly, and perfectly. These are our points this morning. So first, Jesus lives dependently. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 4, Luke writes, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. What happened at the Jordan? Just earlier in chapter 3, Jesus was baptized. The heavens opened up. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested upon Jesus, right? So, Jesus has now returned from the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. So the Spirit that had descended upon him had remained with him, and he's now living and operating in this new reality, that the Spirit is with him, and he's relying on its power. Not only was he full of the Spirit, but the Spirit is leading him in the wilderness, Basically, Jesus is able to face everything that he faces in his human nature because he lives dependently on the Holy Spirit. See, the way of Jesus' life will be a way of suffering. And it inevitably ends at the cross, right? Now, it's a challenging road that Jesus is following. And our road is challenging as well. See, following Jesus, pursuing holiness, loving our, no, our neighbors, the way of the Christian life is a way of self-sacrifice and self-denial. And it is an impossible road for us to walk without God's power. And so we see when Jesus faces temptation, he does so by remaining intimately connected, dependent on God. The second way that we see Jesus human or live the human life is this. He lives it similarly. The writer of Hebrews wrote this, for we 
Christians do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet did not sin. In every respect, Jesus is like you, and he's like me. He faces all the things that we face. He faces brokenness and loneliness and sadness. He faces disappointment. He faces friends who have left his side. He faces everything, and he faces, in today's passage, temptation. So there Jesus is in the wilderness, and he's being tempted by the devil. Devil. By the devil. Um, He's being tempted by the devil for 40 days. Now, if you have read your Old Testament, if you were to go back and read, you find that fidelity to God, that is faithfulness to God, is always being tested. It's always being tested. And here Jesus finds his faithfulness to his Father in heaven tested by these temptations. So let's look at the three. The first one is this. He is tempted to meet his own needs over others. See, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. I don't know if you've ever tried to fast for one day. Usually when I started out, it was like this. I got up at four o'clock in the morning and piled on some carbs. And then I'm like, I'm starting to fast. You really, the day really started the night before, but I and then, so for all the daylight hours, I fast, right? And then four o'clock comes around and what's happening? I'm starving, right? Imagine for a moment, you've been in the wilderness and Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. When it says he was hungry, I think we all know what hunger is based upon one day without food. Imagine what it's like with 40, right? And so he's been in the desert, and he is uh, hungry, and the devil tempts him in three ways. The first one is he tempts him to turn this stone into a loaf of bread. Look, if you are the son of God, the devil says, why don't you just take that stone, turn it into a nice loaf of bread, and have it? He's tempted to use his own power, his own ability, his own authority for his own gratification. See, it's here that we recognize a fundamental lie that Satan tells to us. A fundamental lie he tells to us. He says this, your life is not about God. It's not about other people. Your life is about you. Your needs, your comforts, your future. We know this in America. I mean, I don't think we have to look very far. You know, as long as your 401k is producing, you're willing to overlook maybe some of the ethical issues with the companies that you have stocks in. As long as you have a week at the beach, then and only then will you might think about uh, helping out a family member in need. As long as, insert whatever creature comforts you have. For me, it'd be as long as you have a $10 craft beer, it doesn't matter, a little too close to home, but I put it there because I want you to know the creature comforts of life. It doesn't matter if people are poor. It doesn't matter if people are hungry. It doesn't matter if people don't know Jesus. As long as I have this comfort, I'm okay. As long as I have this comfort, Satan attempts us to exchange truth for a lie. We're all tempted to live for ourselves and not to God, and certainly not 
for others. Part of the reason that we can have everything in the world and still be miserable is this, because our lives were meant to not be focused on ourselves. Our lives, your life, every human life has been meant to focus on other people. And that's why you feel so good. The opposite is true. When you feel so good, when you give yourself away, perhaps you gave some money to the needy or food for the hungry. It's like Jesus said, it's really more, you're more blessed when you give than when you receive. The second thing Jesus is tempted to do is to trade loyalty or faithfulness for temporal power and glory. The devil takes Jesus up and he shows him the kingdom of the world. And there in verse 6, he says, To you I will give this authority and their glory if you then will worship me. It will all be yours. See, the temptation here is to take a shortcut to the purposes God has for us. God's going to make Jesus the ruler of everything. Paul writes in Philippians that because Jesus humbled himself, even humbled himself to death, death upon the cross, because of that, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. See, underlying Satan's temptation is this. I will make your life easier. You can have all the stuff without any of the hardship or suffering. You see, Jesus' way was the way of the cross, right? Jesus' way was to die for all the people. And because he was willing to do that, his name is going to be elevated above every other name. And what Satan says is, look, I'll give you some I'll give you some glory. I'll give you the glory of the nations. That too is a lie. Every temptation is to exchange the good gifts of God for something less. So Satan offers basically the nations to Jesus, and what God has planned for him is all, every knee under heaven, in heaven and on earth, will bow down before you. Will give you glory. You see how much better that way is? See, Adam exchanged this too back in the garden. Life with God was supposed to be perfect in the garden. He was supposed to uh, order it, and, and he and Eve were supposed to populate it and take care of it, and they were supposed to live in perfect provision. With one stipulation, don't eat from the, knowledge, uh, from the tree of knowledge, right? And they traded that, the, knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they had that apple. They ate from that tree, and they didn't gain anything. They actually lost everything. You remember that story, right? Genesis 3. See, we're tempted this way too. Power and pride over a humble walk with God. Over and over again, we give in to the temptation to give up the best for something less. Perhaps it's work and money over being with our family, over discipling our children in the faith. Perhaps you've uh, sought to control something in business at the expense of your own personal integrity. Perhaps you are taking and receiving over giving generously. We are tempted to trade away, to trade the way of God for the way of the world. Third and finally, Jesus is tempted to presume upon God and put him, put God to the test upon the Father. And Satan here uses Scripture. See, Satan is, uh, he's sly. 
He's a sly little devil. Um, and uh, he's sly. He uses Scripture, but he uses it inaccurately and out of context to tempt Jesus. And he uses Psalm 91, where it says that God will, in fact, protect Jesus. What Satan tries to do is goes, you know, did he really say that? Why don't you just hear before you go about all that suffering, all that stuff, why don't you test out your Father in heaven? Why don't you just throw yourself down from the corner of the temple and just to make sure that he's going to catch you? But that's not the way of God. God calls us to follow him faithfully, not knowing fully where we're going, not knowing what we're going to face. That's the life of the Christian disciple. It was the life of Jesus, and it was the life of us. And Jesus' rebuke and defense is to recall the Old Testament admonition from Deuteronomy, don't put God to the test. And instead, he lives dependently on the Father, not making demands on God where he was unwilling to follow. So Jesus lives similar lives to us. He faces similar challenges. Our final point is this, that Jesus lives the human life perfectly. So in that final temptation, Satan is quoting Psalm 91. But the context matters. The context always matters. What's happening around a verse? You can't just pull one thing out and read it without looking at what the rest of Scripture says. And there in Psalm 91, God's promise to guard Jesus, to protect him from striking his foot against a stone, God's care has a condition. At the very beginning of Psalm 91, it says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, who says to the Lord, My refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust, who has made the person who has made the Lord his dwelling place. Basically, those of you who are faithfully obedient to God, to these I will protect, I will guard. You know who does this perfectly? You know who responds to temptation perfectly? The one who lives the human life perfectly? It's Jesus. Paul writes in our reading from Romans 10 today that Jesus lives the perfect human life. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Basically, he essentially, it's that Jesus Christ perfectly fulfills the law through perfect obedience to God, and he offers you, when you believe, his righteousness, his perfection, his holiness, and his future. When you believe and put your faith in him, Jesus is the perfect human. Here at the very beginning of his ministry, he's demonstrating that. In all the ways that the first Adam failed, Jesus lives up to the requirements. In all the way that God's people throughout the Old Testament refused to trust and believe and follow God, Jesus is faithful. And finally, in all the ways that you and I fall short, he does not. That's why he can offer you eternal life. That's why he can offer you a perfect future. He alone can offer hope to humanity. So I want to turn for a second and ask this question. How are you humaning? Is your life marked by dependence on Jesus or is it marked by seeking more comfort 
and more power and more authority for yourself. Irenaeus said that God became like us, like you, so that you could become like him. Are you like him? Or more more appropriately, are you becoming like him? These are important questions because what Jesus is showing you this morning is how to live a life of dependence. It It begins by making God your refuge and your fortress, by living in the shelter and protection of the Most High. And the way that you do this is by trusting Jesus. Second thing is that I wonder is, are you facing the world, facing the temptations, depending on God's power or on your own? See, God wants you to live in his power, and he sent his son to be human, to live perfectly, to die on a cross, to rise again, so that you might find forgiveness of sin, that you might be restored to righteousness, and because he gives you his spirit, because he offers you his Holy Spirit. To all that believe, you can have the same relationship that God, that Jesus has with God. My prayer this morning is that you would make him your shelter, that you would put your trust in him, that you would ask God where you're falling short to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you could stand against the temptation in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus, who lives a perfect human life for us. And he offers the outcome of that life, which is holiness and righteousness to us. Lord, help us to put our trust in you. Help us to receive your Holy Spirit. Help us to face the lies and temptations of the enemy with confidence in your word and in your son by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.